Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session. Saliva, or rather, spit. We're told it's important to test saliva at school, but does knowledge about our patient's saliva really change the way the patient is treated? What can findings in our saliva cultures tell us about diseases such as Alzheimer's or infective endocarditis? Joining us again to talk about all things oral environment is none other than the wonderful Dr. Samantha Byrne. Later on in the piece, Samantha lists off a paper that we will have a link to in the show notes, along with ways that you can reach her if you have any questions for today's episode. Stay tuned. That's a really good question, Hayden. So I think possibly the bigger question is, and possibly the slightly more controversial question is, is a dental professional dipping their toes in salivary testing going to change the way the patient is treated? I think it's about looking at what information am I going to get from that saliva test? Will it change the decisions I'm going to make for that patient? So I've seen quite a few people on Instagram. So so dentists on Instagram who have sort of quite big profiles talking about bacterial testing and they're going to individualize their prevention of, of disease in this patient. And I, I still can't quite figure out what they're going to do that's different because we know that the prevention of plaque-related diseases is about really good mechanical plaque control. If the patient is high caries risk, we know it's about addressing diet and you know increasing the amount of fluoride that's around to sort of um, change that balance so we can get remineralization. If it's periodontal disease, we know it's about, again, really good plaque control, preventing gingivitis and reducing risk factors, reducing tooth-related risk factors, patient-related risk factors. So I, I think it's one of those interesting topics that currently, I don't know in 2023 whether we have enough information about what a, a healthy microbial community looks like in, in a mouth to be able to say from this one salivary test, I can tell this information. That's definitely the goal though. The goal is absolutely you know, really simple saliva tests to be able to check for risk for disease. And I think one of the perfect examples is early childhood caries. We know that early childhood caries is a huge problem all around the world. It's a huge problem in Australia. We have children, you know, age three, having general anaesthetics to have all of their deciduous teeth removed. And it is is really shocking. Mm. And we have, when we look at early childhood caries incidents, that there are small numbers of children who have really high levels of disease or high numbers of lesions. So some of the work we've been doing at the Melbourne Dental School is about looking at, is there some way we can predict which of those children are going to go on to develop disease in the future? Um, and can we we test saliva in some way? And there's some other studies being done out of, I think, the University of Sydney and, and University of Adelaide as well. I think they're working on a collaboration doing a similar thing. You know, can we is that what is it we can find in saliva that's different in those children? Is there a particular microbial marker that's that's present before we see disease so that we might be able to target children who are at really high risk? I don't think we're there yet, but it's certainly something that that's really important. It's a really important area of research that a number of people are looking at. I was going to ask this question later, but I feel like it'd be good to ask it now. So, you know, we've had microscopes ever since you know, Anton von Leeuwenhoek, however you pronounce his name. That, that, that sounds to, pretty good. Was able to, you know, look at fabrics and things like that. But, you know, even still till 2023, as you mentioned, we still don't have the complete picture of what the oral microbiome looks like. What 
exactly makes it so difficult to be able to isolate all the different kinds of bacteria. You're right. We've been able to get beautiful vision of different microorganisms for you know hundreds of years, but actually figuring out what's in there has been a bit complicated. Uh, a huge amount of work being done over a long period of time with things like bacterial culture and some amazing researchers who were able to cultivate a huge number of microorganisms from the mouth. Incredibly impressive. As you, you know, in the sort of 70s and 80s, as we've moved into things like DNA sequencing in the 2000s, certainly in the last 10 years, we really are getting this picture that we've got really complex microbial communities, you know, 700 to 1,000 species across a population of people. We might each have, say, one to 200 species in our mouths. And what looks like health in me might be different to what looks like health in you. Uh, uh, what looks like health in some lovely studies that show that what looks like health in, you know, teenagers in one country might look quite different to what health looks like in teenagers in another country. And in fact, the 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 thing that's really interesting is disease, what looks like a disease microbial community in teenagers from one country might look quite different to what a disease microbial community looks like in teenagers from another country. That's just talking about dental caries. So oh my goodness. Yeah. Actually, it is, it's it's that health doesn't look like one thing and disease doesn't look like one thing. And that some of these microorganisms are really hard to grow. Some what we also find is so just growing them, it's very difficult to grow some of the microorganisms. We can grow, and when I say we, I don't mean me, myself, but I'm talking yeah, about yeah, you know, yeah, the community yeah. of, yes, of people yeah. who study microorganisms mm. can grow about 50% of the bacteria that we find in the mouth. If we look at DNA sequencing, we find that with current technology, the, the gene that we examine or that we detect to look for different microorganisms is very, very similar in fact, identical in some species that are different. So um, sometimes the the DNA similarity is so great that we can't distinguish between different species. So I, I tell my students that the you know the lecture I used to give in you know 2005 is different to the lecture I gave in 2015, and it'll be different to the one I give in 2025 because we're learning so much more as as techniques evolve. So I think I answered your question. A combination of some of these things are really difficult to grow and some of them are really closely related. It's really difficult to distinguish between different different species mm. in the mouth. It certainly feels as though the theme in oral microbiology at the moment is that, you know, we've gone from looking at just strep mutants that's causing caries to kind of, you know, a whole ecosystem of plaque. But as you're saying, it's not even just the ecosystem, it's the variation between individuals the individuals that's absolutely you know, oh my goodness yeah yeah absolutely and I, and that's i guess the 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 key now that people are looking at is what does a healthy microbial community look like and what are the variations so that we can try and figure out to to, to try and assess risk by assessing people's microbial communities dr michael manacos dr david atia dr derek mahoney Dr. Dean Lysenblatt, Dr. Mehdi Rahimi, Dr. Amanda Foon Dr. Novnil Kashyap, Dr. Jesse Green, Dr. Esar Malani, Dr. David McIntosh, Kathy Metaxas, and Dr. Paul Homily. Do these names ring a bell? Presenting the Dental Summit 2023, bringing together Australia's most renowned dental experts and world-class speakers all together in the same room for the largest dental event of the year. 
Join like-minded individuals for two whole days' worth of CPD held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, September 1st and 2nd, followed by a cocktail gala night to remember. Whether you're a new grad or an experienced dentist, there's something in it for you. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit our show notes or the webpage tds23.com for more information. Early bird tickets end June 30, so jump in quick. And don't forget to use our discount code DHS10 for an additional 10% off your ticket purchase. So my next question is regards to the technology around saliva testing. So at the moment, you know, I've got a litmus test, I've got a little dropper, and I've got a cup to measure volume. And, you know, sometimes I might even have a buffering test. Is there more technology out there to kind of look at analyzing a patient's saliva? The basic saliva test, and I, because I teach all my students how to do that, of, of, of the spitting in a cup yes, over a yep. period of time and telling how much saliva that is in there is a brilliant test. It's simple, it's cheap, it's easy, and you get a heap of information. And as you said, if you if you can then measure things like pH or buffering, beautiful. And that's that can give you a lot of information that can really help with patient management. In terms of saliva testing and looking for microorganisms, there absolutely are. You can go online and you can go, I won't mention their names, but there are a number of companies where you can send a saliva sample off and they will send you back a profile of your oral microbial community. And that's really the the key. That's the one I, what I was talking about before in terms of dipping your toe in saliva testing. If you're saliva testing for microorganisms, is that going to to change the way you you manage a patient? And that type of saliva testing, where you're looking for what microorganisms are present at the moment, probably doesn't give us a huge amount of information. It's certainly interesting. I know the the biohackers are, are definitely into it. I don't I don't quite know how they're using the information. But yeah, I think it'll be something that will evolve over time, definitely, uh, as these things get cheaper as well. The beauty of something like the the spit in a cup to just determine whether or not somebody's got a healthy level of saliva is, as I said, you can do that, you get your answer within five minutes and, um, you know, it's it's easy to move on from that. Other tests are you know, quite expensive. You've got to pay a couple of hundred dollars and you're possibly not getting some really good usable information at the other end in terms of management. The beauty of testing saliva is that for many systemic conditions, the ideal would be a saliva test because it is easy, it's simple, and if you can get something from saliva that is immediate, that's the ideal. And so a lot of work around many different types of conditions looking for, is there some type of metabolite that, that can help pick you know, is that patient at risk? Do they then go to the next stage of tests? You know, do they do they then get sent for a blood test or whatever it might be? Um, so absolutely, saliva is one of those. It could be the first line of, of a saliva test for many different things that would be nice and easy, can be done then. Patients don't have to make another appointment. They don't have to go somewhere else. They don't have to wait for a result. So it's definitely a possibility and something that a lot of people are looking into. As a new grad, I had to register with an indemnity insurer in order to practice, and having loads of options didn't make that any easier. When I came across Dental Protection Limited, they made it easy for me to sign up with them with their streamlined registration process, and they also had heaps of added bonuses for signing up, like webinar events, workshops, and various online learning. Dentistry is hard, and the stress of patient complaints can add to the everyday stress. Knowing I have DPL behind me every step of the way makes me feel confident stepping into work. If you want to feel like someone has your back going into work, you should give DPL a chance and discover what they can do for you. 
the idea around the link between periodontitis and Alzheimer's disease. And they talk about how there's a bit of, I see you're nodding your head. So there, there are studies that show that there's a correlation between Alzheimer's and periodontitis and they use, they explore the potential pathogenesis. Uh, what, what's your take on that? Not my area of expertise. And in fact, I can probably recommend a guest you could have on who who would, could talk about it in a great deal of depth, but I'm happy to, to, um, to touch on what my understanding is. Definitely seems to be a correlation. And the, the key now, I think, for research around the relationship between periodontitis and, um, you know, in particular, um, the microorganism Porphyromonas gingivalis and Alzheimer's disease is looking for what's the mechanism? How might this association be happening? Because ideally, if there is some type of causative relationship, it's about going, okay, so how do we, how can we interfere with that so that we can prevent this? So there are a number of different hypotheses. So is it the microorganism actually getting into the blood and traveling to the brain? Is it parts of the microorganism? So is it bits of the outer membrane of the microorganism getting into the circulation and traveling to the brain? Is it the inflammation that's associated with something like periodontitis that's the link? You know, is it a primed immune cell that's then you know, being primed by microorganisms in the mouth and it's then circulating yeah, and, yeah, and causing a problem. Yeah. So a, a great area of interest for, for researchers in the, the area of, of periodontal microbiology is, is really diving in, into that. I'll, I'll bring up another question that might be a bit of a controversial take because I know that there's a bit of a disagreement in the oral health profession. In the therapeutic guidelines, they talk about how patients with heart stents you know, before you have a scale and root debridement, that they're at risk at, of um, you know, something like infective endocarditis. But when you look at the research, they talk about how one of the things that kind of creates a greater risk is actually just the presence of plaque in the mouth in the first place. I guess, could you elaborate and maybe what, what would your views be of that kind of topic? Yeah. So I think it's a really interesting topic because that that relationship between oral microorganisms and infective endocarditis and antibiotic prophylaxis and you know is all very is is a really interesting area. So absolutely, we know that bacteria from the mouth get into the bloodstream. They can travel to the heart, and in particular heart conditions, they can grab a hold of different parts of the heart and they can set themselves up as in causing infective endocarditis. And there are a variety of different ways those microorganisms can enter the mouth. We know if we do particular procedures, for example, somebody has a subgingival debridement appointment, we know from studies that they will end up with bacteremia, bacteria will enter their bloodstream. But as you mentioned before, we know that if we look at bacteria entering the bloodstream, they can do that after somebody cleans their teeth. So are we saying that people shouldn't clean their teeth? And in fact, I saw a dentist from overseas who has a lot of Instagram followers on Instagram the other day saying that people shouldn't floss their teeth if their gums bleed because that's going to increase their risk of getting, uh, you know, yeah. like, oh, that caused a whole heap of, of yeah, problems. Yeah, and, yeah. and um, you see it all the time though. And you, you do see yeah. it all the time. So it goes to, all right, so there are patients who are at high risk for infective endocarditis. So, you know, we need to follow our therapeutic guidelines around trying to prevent uh, infective endocarditis for antibiotic, using antibiotic prophylaxis to prevent endocarditis. But in those patients, there's a 
beautiful review, I think it's in Nature Reviews Microbiology, around uh, infective endocarditis that was published a couple of years ago. It's a really well written for for a general practitioner, um, so perfect for a, a dental student to read. Um, that talks about the importance of in patients who are at high risk. It's so important to maintain health, oral health, for two reasons. One, it's going to prevent the need for dental treatment, so that will prevent the need for antibiotic prophylaxis. But also, if you've got really good oral hygiene, you're not going to have as much gingival inflammation. So you're going to lower that level of bacteremia that you might get from something like brushing your teeth. It really points to that importance of, you know, interprofessional practice, working with patients and their, you know, being aware of a patient's medical history, perhaps talking to a cardiologist and having, you know, the cardiologist also talking to the patient about the importance of their maintaining their oral health so that they're hearing it, not just from you as their oral health practitioner, but they're also hearing it from their their other health practitioners um, to try and help prevent that or reduce that risk of, of endocarditis. Is there any other thing that you think is worth exploring kind of in that topic? I guess one of the things that's really popular at the moment is this idea of being able to modulate your oral microbiome for health and, you know, what what things should people be eating and what, you know, magical probiotics should they be taking? And I think the the key to prevention of, of oral disease, things like dental caries, periodontitis are, you know, we've got really good evidence for reasonably simple and reasonably cheap things like really good plaque control. Um, in terms of prevention of dental caries, we've got really good evidence that using a fluoride toothpaste helps reduce the incidence of dental caries. Things like periodontitis, we know if we can prevent gingivitis, then we can help prevent periodontitis. Um, we know that we've got really good evidence for things like reducing the amount and frequency of dietary sugar can help prevent dental caries. So it's reasonably, there are reasonably simple things we can do to help prevent um, disease and to help promote the growth of health associated microorganisms in the mouth. You know, good saliva flow, try and reduce the amount of sugar and the, the frequency of sugar, and really good plaque control. Those are probably the, the really the three key things to think about when it's you're thinking about trying to promote the growth of health associated microorganisms and plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.